Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. It is Palm Sunday, which is we prepare our hearts for what's coming uh, next week. Next week is Easter Sunday. Um, note to yourselves, this, this service will probably be very, very crowded. Um, if you're going to come to the service, we encourage you to take a ticket, which isn't like a ticket. It's just kind of like to help us gauge on where the people are coming. And judging by that, if you don't have a preference, we need some of you to shift to 1140 next week for the third service. If you haven't decided that, that would be very nice and help make room for other people as they come, because we expect next Sunday to be very crowded. Um, one other little note. For those of you who bring 15 cars every Sunday, I understand, but if you carpool next week, that would be wonderful, okay? Um, just throwing that out there. <clears throat> We've been going through a series called Who Me? And the idea is we've been tackling this idea of realizing that God wants to use us. So as a pastor, a lot of times we feel this, this tug of, do we, do we speak to our people, discipling them, or do we speak to the people trying to get them to reach out? And the reality is it should be both. As you grow in your natural relationship with Jesus, the natural outflowing of that is reaching out into the world around you. And so our mission statement around here is that we are followers that make followers of Jesus. And this idea of who me is taking the subsidiary statements which are located above the bathroom on the wall. You can go out there and read it later. It's really fun. Okay, you can go out there and do that. And we talked the first week about this who me series uh, about the woman at the well and the idea of followers share what they, that's the natural outflowing. Then last week we talked about Peter. We challenged you to get out of the boat, for those of you who weren't here, and, and to really go and serve and do something uncomfortable. And, and this week we're really talking about, well, followers give sacrificially. And some of you are already like, oh, no, it's the giving one. And it is giving, but I want you to hear it's not just about money. This sermon is really about the natural outflowing of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So stay with me as we're going to look at the story that precedes the one we did last week, the story of the five loaves and two fish. John 6, verses 1 through 7 says this. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. And Jesus went up to a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. So Jesus is teaching, miracles are happening, large crowd. You're about to see in a minute, we're going to read that passage in a minute, that 5,000 men were in attendance. Translation, probably around 15,000 people were there, counting women and children. When Jesus asked Philip, where are we going to get the bread to feed these people? You do understand that this was not a place where there was a bunch of McDonald's around. Right? There was no dollar menu. As a matter of fact, there weren't fast food restaurants. There weren't really restaurants. And so he's sitting there going, I don't know what to do. And his first reaction is Jesus. Even if we had 800 denarii, which translation is about eight months worth of salary. If we had eight months of salary, we couldn't feed these people bread. What do you want me to do about it? Have you ever been there? Imagine that you're Philip in that moment. And all of a sudden, 
you're looking at a problem and being asked to come up with a solution that is way, way bigger than you. You ever been there? Philip, in this moment, why? I'm sure he's going, why me? There's 11 other disciples. Why are you looking at me right now? Well, Philip was from the region, so some people think he would have known the region the best. He would have known where we could have gotten bread. But the Bible actually says Jesus asked him to test him. Jesus asked him to test him. And in life, you are going to have problems. You are going to have the storms of this life that are going to come. And in those moments, how you face those, we've talked about this through this series, how you face those will determine how your faith is being measured. What do you want me to do about it? What can one person do about it? Well, the first thing I want you to see this morning is your problems are never, ever too big for God. Ever. I was reminded of a story this week when I was back in seminary. And uh, back then, I had to write, it was one of my last semesters at seminary, and I had to write a, over a 40-page paper with, complete with footnotes, bibliography, all that stuff. Uh, Turabian was the method, which is a mean twist that they make do seminary students instead of doing MLA. Some of you won't get that, but Turabian's evil. And so I was having to do this whole paper, and, and it was one of those professors who said, no excuses, your dog ate your homework, you better bring your dog in, you know, that kind of thing. And there's just no excuses, and it's seminary. Where's the grace, right? Um, so I was at seminary taking this, and I uh, inserted my three-and-a-quarter-inch hard disk into my computer on a Sunday morning because I was going to print it while I was going to church. It was due the next day. Why? Because back then... The paper was the kind you had to rip off, and if I ripped it off it, and it didn't do it just right, I was going to have to do it again, and it also didn't print really quick. Instead, it was a and 40 pages took a while. So I had this brilliant idea. I'm going to print it. When I go back from church, it'll probably be on page four. You know, that kind of mentality. I'm going I'm to start printing it. Well, I go to check it that morning. It's due the next day. I've worked on this for about a month, and it's gone. I mean, just gone. And I'm sitting there going, what do I do? So I went to church and thought, I'm just going to think about this. And I came back and I dove in. And thankfully, I had all my notes still. And I dove in. And I, it was the closest I ever came to doing an all-nighter because Daniel likes to sleep. And so I went and I just dove in and started writing. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And I turned that paper in. And when I got it back. I got a 71. I was thrilled to get a 71 because it was 71 points more than I thought I was getting like you know the day before right and I was a good student so I could I could handle the 71 and you know when you graduate seminary no one ever asked you what your GPA was and I just don't mine was good don't worry by the way what do you call a doctor who graduates last doctor right so you might want to ask your doctor what their GPA is because that really matters okay that was free to all the doctors in the room, I'm sorry, you're going to be inundated with that question now. But the reality was, I graduated, and I, I did all this, and, and I sat there and I thought, God delivered me, right? That's not the problem I'm talking about here. You know why? Because in that problem, I prayed for God to give me the peace, but I still, I still kind of did a lot of the work. The problems that we're talking about in this passage are the problems that you can't Find the solution. You can't do an all-nighter. You can't trudge through. It is a place where you're literally going, God, I 
can do it. You ever realize that God is refining us through our trials? He is. God is refining us through our trials. I think back through the years um, I've been pastor of this church. We've had many good things. Many good things have happened. And we've had some really bumps. There's been a few times in this church when I've been the pastor. A few times when I was the minister as a college minister. There's, two, there's been several times in my life where I've sat there and faced the moments. And even in the pastorate of this church. And I thought to myself, God. I'm a little boy with five loaves and two fish. Can't possibly feed all of these people. I can't do it today. And then that's when God shows up. And I want you to see something. No matter what you have to offer, you might feel it's a paltry sum. And I'm not just talking about finances. Maybe for you it's your time. Maybe for you it's your intellect. Maybe it's for you it's whatever that might be. I love this quote. God never sees what you have to offer as insignificant. And this is a quote I found this week. The one who knows us thoroughly, far better than we even know ourselves, is taking the trouble to train us, to correct our faults, to grant us chances to rise above our natural weaknesses. The reality is the storms will come. The times when you can't figure out how to make life work. And in those moments, how would your life change if you learned to view the obstacles as opportunities? How would your life really change if you learned to view your obstacles as opportunities to see God do something amazing in you. John 6, 8 through 11 says, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. And the men numbered about 5,000. That's the 5,000 number, just so you know, I wasn't lying to you earlier. It's always good to know that, right? Then Jesus, after all, I did get a 71 on a paper once again. Just totally ruined the moment, I'm sorry. Verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, this is a good time where everybody goes, okay, I get it, I give my five loaves and my uh, two fish and watch God move, that's amazing. Okay, I'll do that, right? That's what you're asking me to do. Well, I want you to see a few other things. There's a few other characters in this story that are often overlooked. One was Andrew. Andrew said, Jesus, there's a boy with five loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? But even Andrew recognized in that moment, there's somebody with some resources. Andrew doesn't get the credit he deserves. Now, I don't know if the boy approached Andrew or Andrew saw the boy and was like, hey, boy, do you want to share your things? He's like, I don't really want to. And he goes, pray about it. Let's go. You know, that kind of, I don't know what it was. I would like to imagine that the boy was excited and thought, I get to participate, I get to share, I'm going to be a gentleman, whatever it be. I'm going to give this up, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to do, I like to think that, we don't know that, but regardless, Andrew saw a little potential in what the boy had. 
do you know that one of the best things that you can do is sometimes recognize the potential in other people? I guarantee you, I would not be here if it wasn't for people like Chris Clark, Kevin Bowes, who were in the youth group, looked down at me and said, you have potential. I remember a, a junior high principal saying kind words. I remember my parents investing in me. I remember youth ministers. I remember my mom's friends. I remember a lot of people who looked down at me and they said, Daniel, you have something to invest. Now stay humble and seek after it. I'd be like, who me? And maybe, just maybe, we need to see the Andrew role that we need to play in our life and look around us and recognize that people have stuff to offer and we need to, to tap them on the shoulder and say, you have something to offer. And they might go, I don't, it's a paltry sum, I know, but let's bring it to Jesus. Let's bring it to Jesus. Then there's the boy. Five loaves of bread and two gross pieces of fish. I say gross because they were either dried, which is gross enough, or pickled, which is just beyond gross to me. I can't imagine pickled anything. Don't like pickles. And they offered them, right? He offered them. What, what is this? And sometimes you sit there and go, what do I have to offer? And Jesus says, you haven't seen anything yet. And then there's a, a third person that's not even mentioned in the Bible that a lot of commentaries want, want you to recognize. Very likely in that day and age and still in today, there was a mom who packed a lunch with five rolls and, and two fish. And I like to imagine the son, the story went like this, Mom, I'm going to go chase after Jesus. And there's this guy named Jesus, would you let me go? And she was like, no. But Mom, all the other kids are doing it. Okay, but take your lunch. But mom, none of the other kids are taking the lunch. Well, I'm packing five loaves because then they need to have some too. So make sure you share before you go. I don't know if that's how it went. I like to imagine it, right? Make sure you share. And so he comes, mom, I shared with 15,000 people. Son, I think the fish was pickled a little too long today. I mean, can you imagine she packed a lunch for 15,000 people? That's pretty cool. You never really know what your efforts are going to do for the ramifications of the gospel. But here's the reality. It wasn't Andrew, it wasn't the boy, and it wasn't the boy's mom who actually provided the food for the 15,000 people, was it? It was Jesus. Why? Because we know the math does not work that five loaves of bread and two fish will feed that many people. So I want you to see, ultimately, God is in control. And he actually doesn't need your sacrifices to do his kingdom work. But rather, God allows us to participate in his kingdom work in order to grow our faith in trusting in him. God allows us to participate, to sacrifice for his glory, and so that you might grow in him. And as our faith grows... As we trust in him, we're able to see the magnitude of how truly great our God is. Here is where we find peace. In other words, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He actually doesn't need you to give your money to the church. Some of you are like, great, I'm going to keep my money, right? Okay, good. That's on you. You're going to miss out on the glory of God. God doesn't actually need your time. God doesn't need your energy, but rather he allows us to do that. And when we do it, what ultimately happens is as we sacrifice, we're dying to ourselves because a sacrifice means I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm going to go out and work on a Sunday afternoon, even though it's rainy, right? Wherever they send me 
Or at least I'm willing to go if they cancel it because of the rain, right? I'm going to go rock a baby in the nursery. I'm, I'm going to go work with our youth. I'm going to go and take one of those flyers to our neighbors, inviting them. I'm going to stop at a gas station and give a card, inviting someone to Easter. I'm going to do something that's a little uncomfortable. I'm going to sacrifice my time, my energy, my rest, resources, yes, my finances, but so much broader than that. I'm going to sacrifice what I want to do for the kingdom of God. And when you give yourself away, you're opening your heart for the Holy Spirit to do something dynamic, in your life. You're enabled to see God do something in your life and you're drawn into his presence. And when you're drawn into his presence, God shows up. That's good. Because it's in that peace, in that presence, that you get to know the meaning of what you are all about. Who, me? What do I have to offer? Not much, but God. Not much, but God can take your little and do a lot. You see, the more we are able to participate in the kingdom growth, the more we will see the true nature of God in our lives. So why is this so important and what does this look like? John 6, 12 through 13. When they were full, who? 15,000 people. He told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. There's a couple of thoughts on this. When I was a little boy, I went to Sunday school. I'm making myself seem very old tonight, the tear it off paper. And then also, I'm going to talk about a felt board story here, okay? A felt board, I, I've done the felt board before. If you don't know what a felt board is, it is the uh, original PowerPoint, only that you pointed, point, point, point. And you had these pictures, and you put them on this felt board. Whack. Well, when this story was told, because this story was told to little boys and little girls in my church, right? And they had this little felt board, and they would post the, on the felt board the pictures of the baskets, and they were like huge garbage bags. That's not actually what that happened was. First of all, they didn't have garbage bags or felt boards, but that's another point. They didn't have garbage bags, and so when you look at the baskets, you sit there and go, what was that really about? I, there's two theories here. I'm going to share both. One I think is less likely, but it's a cool theory. So I'm going to share the first theory of why there were 12 baskets left over. The first one. The 12 baskets left over represented the tribes of Israel. And it's the idea that Jesus was the bread of life for all eternity for all of Israel, which is now including the church, which is now including the future. I love that. But there's another part of that that I, I think that makes that a little less likely. In that, Jesus doesn't do things that don't have a purpose. And the purpose that he would have done was not to waste and have leftover to be wasted. So here's the American mindset. You have a big meal for Thanksgiving. If there's not food left on the table at the end, we haven't done it right. Because somebody might still want to shove another piece of turkey in their gut, right? Right? That's not the mentality of Jesus. Jesus didn't like to waste it. So when he's doing it, why would there be 12 baskets left over? Okay, the second part of this story is what were the baskets? I mean, the baskets, they, they probably weren't huge baskets they would have had to haul. They're probably baskets. Small. 
And when they had 12 baskets left over, why would they have 12 baskets left over except for what they were? One, two, three, four, five. There were 12 disciples. And nothing was to be wasted. So it is very, very likely that here's what was going on. Jesus took the leftovers, gave the leftovers to the disciples because everybody else was full, and said, now go get in this boat, which is the story we talked about last week, and go to the other side. He provided for them the next meal. Not only did he provide for them the next meal, but he provided for them the next meal that they would have needed for strength and endurance to happen when the storm that we talked about last week would come on the lake. So Jesus, if this theory holds true, with not only providing for them in a time when they couldn't see how they would be provided, he was providing for them in the next obstacle that they didn't even know was coming yet. Isn't that cool? That God looks down at your problem and sees it not only as a solution for the here and now, but prepares you for what lies ahead. God wastes nothing. And so he won't waste a lesson on you. God looks at your problem and says, huh, you think that's a problem? I'll show you. And he fixes the problem, not for your glory, but for his glory. And in doing so, brings us back to a place where we exalt him and we glorify his name. So his kingdom is done and it prepares us for what lies ahead. As long as we aren't concerned with ourselves, but are willing to give ourselves away. It's not about you. Why did he provide for the disciples? Because they were being obedient and following. It's not so you can have the big screen TV. It's not so. Jesus not only sees the storms you're in, but is using the storm as a way to prepare you for the storms that lie ahead. And as the bread of life, the more you give yourself away, the more you will find him there. So the saying goes, right? Followers give sacrificially, willingly, no guilt. If you're going to put money in the offering plate today because you're trying to appease God out of guilt, don't. I want you to fall in love with Jesus and know why he wants you to do it. If you're going to go serve somewhere today out of guilt, don't. I want you to wrestle with the guilt that you're feeling and ask why you feel guilty. Is it because you really want to do what you want to do or you really want to be obedient to the gospel? The church doesn't need to guilt people into God moving. The church needs God's movement to take over the church. And then God's people will respond by giving sacrificially. So here's our Monday morning application. We've talked about this a lot before, but I want to encourage you to climb the ladder of sacrifice. We talk about this as in a giving way, but I want you to not just see your finances. I want you to see it in time, your resources, your energy, your effort, your emotions even. If you've never given, you lived your life for you, give something. And once you begin to see God's presence move in that, then challenge yourself to give regularly, working in the nursery, taking a pie to your neighbor and inviting them to church making witnessing a part of your life. Then after you give regularly, give a set amount of time and, and challenge yourself to give more and more and more, trusting in God's provision. Why? Because you're growing in your faith. You're learning to give more and more and more away. And when you give more and more of you away, guess what you find? God is there. 
So today, I want you to see the greatness and the goodness of the glory of our Lord. No guilt. Run to his presence and see that he showed us what it was like to give himself away so that we might know him. The Bible teaches us that Jesus died on the cross. That's the Easter story on Friday. We're going to have a good Friday service. Somber. They thought death had won, but Sunday, Sunday rolled around. Death was defeated. And next Sunday, we're going to celebrate that God is alive and that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you can live with him from now into eternity, and that comes through Jesus' sacrifice. So as followers, as we're really following Jesus, what we're doing is we're leaning into what he wants us to be. We're leaning into his example. And Jesus knew that sometimes we would want to do things for ourselves. So when he gathered with the disciples in the upper room, he had a little loaf of bread. Why? Because that's what was there. He had a little wine, and so he took it. And then he asked them to break off of it. And every time they take it to be remembering of this, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for them. And then when they take the cup to remember the blood that was poured out, and then to live a life in such a way that we glorify him. So today, I want you to come before him and, and thank him for the sacrifice he did for us. All the while praying and asking God to help you sacrifice more and more for the glory of his kingdom so that you might find and see how good he is. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you're invited to participate. The deacons in a moment will pass these by. They are gluten-free. We will take them together. It's going to be a little bit longer than normal today, so hold on to them patiently. Moms and dads have kids in the room, and they're going to participate. You may want to hold it for them because it's a long time to hold for a little kid. So. But let's seek God. Seek his presence. And thank you for the sacrifice he did. Deacons, come forward now. Father, I thank you for how you're moving in our lives. Help us as we seek after you and chase after you with everything that we have. God, we are thankful for your sacrifice, your love, and how you provide for us. Be with us in the storms and to see how good you are. In the holy name we pray.